It's hard to make sense of everything that's going on today because there is a lot of things going on all at once. And I'm here to tell you that everything that you feel inside is definitely valid because whatever it is from Black Lives Matter to All Lives Matter is valid. And here's why. A lot of times when black people or protesters in general uh, hear All Lives Matter, it's under the impression that you're trying to brush under Black Lives Matter. But here's why another outlook of All Lives Matter doesn't have to be a hindrance to Black Lives Matter. Also, both of the terms can work together in that with Black Lives Matter, all lives will matter. Now to understand why Black Lives Matter came about, you have to understand that trauma is something that's deeply rooted in Black communities. Trauma brings grief, and grief brings a blinding cast that can cover your eyes from other things besides your own pain. Now that is what's happening in the Black community as a whole. This is not to say that it doesn't happen in other communities, but this is the reason why whenever you see a Black issue, it is amplified. And that in itself is already one of the issues that we have is that in the media, they will portray a Black issue with urgency and negatively. When you see in the media Black protests that are definitely peaceful, you see people trying to sabotage it and make it violent. And these people are law enforcement. And law enforcement is a part of a system that is already in place to dismantle minority groups so that the privilege could keep their privilege. So one of the most transformative moral high grounds state of mind that I know is the action to see past your own struggle, to not just empathize with someone, but also actively seek to dismantle the very system that harms us. Now, this could definitely be very hard because especially especially when you see people in the black community my community be killed it's very hard to see past all of that and whenever you see somebody else's struggle um you want to say well you know what i got my struggles as well and just brush past it and not even help that person It's very easy to do that, but it's very hard (laughs) to have the moral high ground to actually say, you know what, I'm going through things, but I will help you out as well. A lot of people, let's be honest, from day to day, we just want to, if somebody's going through something, it's definitely something that's a common courtesy. It should be a common courtesy to ask that person, can I talk to you about something? Because these issues are heavy. And if you bring 
your issues to somebody the same way when you have these issues in socio-political environment when you have even just an everyday issue bringing it on to somebody is heavy the same way we're trying to understand these heavy issues that's going on in the world because Black Lives Matter is definitely a true statement but there's also a lot of issues going on in the world that also needs help of the Black community this is the way I like to see it. The Black community has a moral responsibility to help out other races. For example, Mexicans uh, or just Hispanic people in general who are seen as illegal and profiled as such and their families are being taken away from them. That sounds familiar, right? It sounds like something that we've gone through in history that we've learned about, that our ancestors had to go through. That being said, we have the tools to help out this other community, whereas in the media, they definitely did not show as much urgency to help uh, Mexican, uh, Mexican, Hispanic communities uh, whenever they were going through a struggle. There just wasn't a lot of urgency. They weren't showing protests about Mexican families being torn apart they did it but what did they do as soon as Black Lives Matter uh, comes in to support the police brutality that's happening against us they're showing urgency now that's one of the things that I want to highlight because that is a tool that we can use our struggles the media that we get when we help people can also be something that translates from the media that we get when we see our struggles portrayed in the media, blasted all night long, replays of protesters, of looting that they say that we did, which was proven that was not started by Black people, as well as there weren't only Black people doing the looting. But they would like to paint a picture that we're thugs, that were violent to reinforce their agenda. This is simply not true because that plays into a system that seeks to tear down our community. But I bet if we look around, we see that they're also trying to tear down other communities as well. So the way I like to see it again is that we would have that advantage to help other communities who may not understand who may not understand fully or just want to brush under the rug the fact that uh they go through struggles and when i say brush under the rug i don't mean it as it doesn't matter i mean it as it's a denial that it's there but it's not really being taken care of Take coronavirus, for example. Whatever it happened, our president even was calling it the China virus. That's not true. But he would like to paint that picture. Now, whenever I was in a class for License to Carry, there was a man who was Chinese and he spoke up that he did not appreciate that. Now, surely 
the black community has gone through a lot worse, right? Than just rumors. And we face being uh, dehumanized all the time. So when you walk around every day, don't call coronavirus Chinese virus. Don't make jokes that it came from smothered bats. How about we look at their issues and say, you know what? The same people that's calling it Chinese virus are the same people that called us thugs. The same people who caught the Chinese virus, Chinese who caught coronavirus, Chinese virus, are the same people who said that little boys running around in the streets of New York were wilding and not behaving just as boys being boys, but they were thugs. They were a gang of boys, not just a group of boys. Think about it like this. There's an analogy that I would love to use that I would like to call the family analogy. The system is the step-parents. And white people is a biological kid who's the youngest and gets their way. Native American and black people are like the first adopted kid who acted out because the white step-parents adopted, but they actually were stolen from their original parents. So they're stolen and they're told that they need to assimilate into the step-parents' household. And they're also older than that other kid who the parent have, but they just really, really wanted more kids. And they adopted that Native American and they adopted that black person who happens to be a teenager. So they know a little bit more than that little kid who's only in elementary school. They understand the world a little bit different, but because those kids, the Native American kid and the black kid keep acting out they soon will be known as the black sheep. They're rebellious. They don't follow the directions. They aren't the parents of the step parents. They're not what the model child should look like, like their biological child, which is white people. And Mexican people are adopted, but willingly, because they come to the step-parented, they're looking for a better life and they want to be adopted. Asian people are is another kid that comes into the family and they're also wanting to be there with the step-parents, which, I mind you, is the system. But the system is the American system. Therefore, the system has strict rules. But the Native American and Black people tried eventually to assimilate and to become model children but it didn't work because nothing was going to satisfy the step parents until nothing was going to satisfy them until uh, that white child continued to continue to win the favor of the step parents But something was so intriguing about that Native American. Something was very intriguing about that Black person. And sooner or later, they realized something was very intriguing about the Mexican child. The Mexican child 
of course, has great food that they learned how to cook, just like the black people. The Asian people have amazing food and culture, just like the black person. And so the white child is the youngest child, of course. So it tries and tries to um, mimic the black child, the Mexican child, the Asian child. And sometimes it would do it and show uh, an admiration of the culture. But what they didn't realize is that in doing so, they weren't just, um, they didn't see it as they're neglecting their their um, original heritage. They saw it as they're showing reverence to this new culture. But unfortunately, whatever the white person would mimic these other cultures, they were shown way more attention by the step-parents, way more attention and way more love. And so the black per- the Mexican person and the Asian person who wasn't the black sheep, but they weren't the favorite very much. Uh, this could also be a reflection of how the media portrays uh, their culture. Is that the Mexican child and the Asian child, they were just there. They were just living their life. They were allowed to have their businesses. They were allowed to have their uh, communities. And they're allowed to thrive. But sooner or later, the step-parents noticed that they were strong. And they would try to push out rumors. And instead of speaking, uh, instead of bragging about their children like they did the white child, they put out rumors about a virus that went around the house. When one person gets the flu, everyone gets the flu, and they blamed it on the Chinese, the Asian, uh, the Asian child. And so, whenever uh, the Mexican child actually decided, you know what? <sighs> this family is not my family. I'm going to go learn about my original family, my original culture, they tore it apart and they took away its computer. Couldn't have a computer anymore because it started to learn more and more about its culture. It learned that it actually wasn't so different from black culture, but realized that the language that it even spoke, Spanish, was actually given to it by Spaniards who, during the Spanish Inquisition, took away their culture and told them you're going to speak Spanish and didn't do it very nicely by the way <laughs> they're very forceful much like the system that we have in place in the United States so I say this analogy because of course that you see the black child faced a lot of uh, from the start a lot of rebellion towards the step-parents. And that's because it knew its history. But over time, it definitely stops knowing its history and it assimilates. But it still isn't accepted. But you know what? It's still looked at to be mimicked. Their culture, our culture as Black people, is still looked at to be mimicked. Even though they don't like the people, they still love the culture. And the unique thing about Black culture now is that 
it was literally made over the past 100 years. 120, to be exact. Because, actually, not to be too exact, because slavery ended, it's give or take 150. So, there's a lot of things that we have had to relearn. We had to we had to relearn a lot of things in the black community because we didn't have a culture and we assimilated and we took on another culture. But in recent years, we have formed our own. Whereas the Mexican families, they have always had their culture. They have had more of a chance, more time to come up with their own original culture and they have their people. But like I've said before, it's a hell of a thing to only worry about your own trauma. And I look and see that we definitely could come to the aid of those Hispanic communities and look for ways in our community, any groups that we could, any organizations that we could help and aid that could aid in helping migrants who are separated from their family to find their families because children to this day are still being separated from their families and are still held in prisons. Now that's not okay either. That's how I feel because it's a lot, it takes a lot, a lot of morality and a lot of discipline and a lot of of a realization within yourself is self-reflection to realize that what makes moves, what makes real change, what makes what causes waves to happen in the atmosphere is when you have a struggle that is very, very great, that's very deep. Talking about children is so much I don't know, somebody listening here could be like, you know what, but what about systemic racism? What about the jails? What about them? We could definitely do something to help that as well. I'm not saying that you cannot. I'm saying that in this day and age, it does not serve us to only worry about our struggles. It's to be blinded by our trauma and by the hurt that we felt because other people are also hurting. And it heals us when we look at our brothers and they are <laughs> they're our brothers to help and brothers and sisters to help those other cultures that are also minorities and you know what in doing that and being an example we can also help white people because if you think about it There's no organization that's called the National Organization of White People. No. When they have organizations, they don't put white in it. They don't have to because that's the privilege. But you know something that they've also done with great, with the great, great pain that they've caused a lot of people. I still have noticed that they've in ways done a lot of good. Because the National Organization for Color People did not start with Black people. It started with white slave owners that loved and had 
black babies with black slaves, black female slaves. And they loved their children. So you know what they did? They started HBCUs so their kids could secretly go to school and have education. Don't forget your history. I thought to myself, what does it tell me that there was white people who started schools for their children, even if they were black? They still started those schools at a time where it wasn't even legal for a black person to read. And I think, how great is that? They really love their children in spite of them being black. Now, yeah, granted, hey, just because of the color of their skin doesn't mean they should be hated. But back then, the mindset was that, yes, they should be hated. But instead of hate them, they showed them love. They showed them mercy. And they showed them a new way. And that opened doors for us now. So everyone's talking about how this is history, right? How things that are happening today will be affected, uh, will, will affect the future, essentially. And your silence will aid, will, will help the oppressor. Will, your silence will help you, all this kind of stuff. It's not everybody's place to be social or political activists. It's not everybody's place to be civil activists. Sometimes it's people's place to do everyday things that will aid in not having the mindset to be racist. My hope is that this helps people who have trouble processing their emotions or the person who is saying, look this up, look at this uproar, look at this riot, look at this protest. And they don't know what to think of it because it's happening so fast. It literally happened over this past weekend. I would like to say this quote that definitely sums up everything that I've been saying. And it's by Cleo Wade. If you look up Cleo Wade on Instagram, you can also find her page. And what she wrote is how to stay connected to your soul. When something happens in the world that is wrong, don't try to move on with your life like it is right. The voice within you that says this is not okay is a direct call from the basic goodness of your spirit. Pick it up every time. Pick it up and stay on the line until you figure out how to help. And what that means to me is just what it says. That there is always that voice in you that says this is not okay. There's always that voice. And I feel like for me personally, it screams just a little bit louder now that this is not okay, but this is what I can do. That's why I have this podcast, because I feel like it's not enough just to talk to people every day. There's got to be a way that we could have some sort of moral high ground to see past our old trauma and to help out a friend. Not just a friend, to help out another culture by doing our part every day in little ways.
It's not enough just to empathize. We need to take action and we need to figure out what way we could help, help out an organization, help out something local, maybe stop by the rallies to see what's really happening. Because I know that um, before I spoke to my friend Sasha on Instagram, Sasha Bedford, that I, who I knew from Fisk University at an HBCU that's in uh, Tennessee, I felt like the riots just looked very chaotic and unorganized. Meanwhile, they were organized, but there was a lot of underlying things happening that would cause the media to not portray it as such. So I had to relearn a lot of things. So I had to relearn that part. Also, what added it to me having more of an urgency to do this is because like a lot of you, I've had a lot of ideas. It can be really hard to get them started. So what actually got me wanting to do this wasn't watching the riots, wasn't even seeing the protests. Some of the places were riots because they definitely had graffiti and it definitely looks like it was the people protesting. Um, in some areas, not all. But those weren't even it. And the, I feel like the reason why those weren't it was because I was so accustomed to seeing protests from, like, my people protesting from looking at history books. Even from a very young age, I was used to just seeing that. And I was used to reflecting on the massive amount of moral responsibility and confidence they had and their justification of all of the harm that was doing to them. They were justified in protesting peacefully, uh, talking about, you know, MLK and Birmingham, Alabama protests and everywhere they went to go to protest the social injustices. I think I used to think about that in school and think you know what? That takes a lot of guts. And I used to really wonder when I was younger and I heard about it in elementary school, I thought, you know what? I'd be out there too. Later on as a teenager, I thought, you know what? I don't think that'd be my, my place, but it got me worried. Like, what could I do? What's, what's my area? Because it doesn't feel like, um, I would just be the one out there with the sign. Um, didn't feel like a place that I'd be. But that being said, I definitely plan to go to one of these protests. But I, like a lot of people, I like, you know, a lot of people I know, I wouldn't want to do it alone. I'd want to go with my friend or friends. And I just would want to know somebody there that I'm marching with because I feel like I take comfort in that. And that's another thing I wanted to touch on is that don't just feel so comfortable in your allegiance to your culture, to your race, that it blindsides you from other people. Because when I look at those protests, there's a lot of people that aren't Black that's still marching. And there's a lot of people, myself included, who are Black, who aren't out there marching. And that's okay because it might not be your time and it might not be your place. 
So to say all of this, what motivated me, it got me really going, is that, like I said in my intro, if you haven't seen it, I'm a graphic design student. And I love art and I love commentary on art because I feel like um, interpreting it is just so fun. And it's it's fun for me because I love to think and I love to analyze like the intellectual type of topics and like give an intellectual like outlook on political posters and such. And somebody I knew from AIGA, uh, Graphic Design Club at UTA, the University of Texas in Arlington. Her name is Dina. She does have an Instagram called Dina, D-E-N-U-H on Instagram. And she posted a political poster that has different people's struggles, different cultures' struggles, I should say. And so as I looked at this, I recall comment to her, commenting to her in Discord. It's an app that we AIGA members have. And I told her um, that this was definitely a powerful piece. I told her that on Instagram that it was a powerful piece. I also told her this was powerful. And in Discord, I said, but you know what? It also gives me some discomfort. And at first, I felt like the discomfort was because it said all lives matter. All lives are equal is what it said, actually. But I thought that it was equate to all lives matter. Now, at the beginning of the weekend, I kept thinking, you know what? Like everybody else, all lives matters is just rebuttal for Black Lives Matter. And if you can't say all lives matter until Black Lives Matter, that still holds true. But... My mind transformed to think, you know what? In the future, we're not going to have to say Black Lives Matter. Might not even have to say All Lives Matter. But that future isn't here yet. But I felt like the poster was like a glimpse into the future of what we could be. It didn't have to be, like I said, timing. What I, what I told her, timing it is everything. And in the midst of all of these protests... And in the midst of a lot of Black lives still being murdered, it felt like a slap in the face. It felt like, at first, at first impression, that everything going on, another person who isn't Black is telling us, okay, you don't need to uh, you, you stop saying Black lives. You're not special. You're not like everybody else struggles. Stop complaining so much. Stop with the urgency about everything. But you know what? Now, think about it like this. Also, I don't only urge the Black community to think about it like this, but I urge anybody listening, as well as uh, whether you're Black, Blue, Orange, whatever, to think about it like this. All Lives Matter is going to be not just a rebuttal, but is going to be an an affirmative, an affirmation, sorry, an affirmation, an affirmative that, you know what? Black lives do matter. We are unified. Don't think of it as, you got 
you got to struggle. Look at all these other struggles. Don't look at it like that. Look at it as if they're saying, you know what? We got struggles too. We're here with you. And I urge the black community. This is what I do urge the black community is that when a lot of this stuff in the media dies down, don't let it die down in your heart and don't let it die down um, on social media because yeah, the media or the news will let it die down. They'll let it move past. Another thing big will happen, whether it's the election or what have you, um, that will come up that they want to blast in the media and give all that attention to. But that doesn't mean that we on social media have to give attention to that. We can give attention to what we want to give attention to. And best believe the news is going to try and cover that on Twitter and on Instagram as well because they try to stay current. And don't let that be the only place that you get your information because there's still a lot of news that you can get from Instagram. And I know a lot of people are getting into seeing that a lot more. A lot more. Especially these days. So, I feel like It's the moral responsibility for white people to be anti-racist actively in everyday things. Just like I said about black people, if you hear a coronavirus joke about Chinese people, don't subscribe to it. The same way, don't subscribe to all of the sayings that they say about black people being thugs, black people being violent, black people being just mad and angry. Well... Now, you could be mad and angry with us because you see what we're mad and angry about. It's very, very despicable to see a black life die because they were suspected of a petty crime. And it's suspected, alleged. It's not concrete at all. It's, it's death for no reason. Anybody would be outraged about a death for no reason. A death. But you know what? Increasingly, increasingly by day, by week, by every month, there's a lot of people dying, a lot of black people dying every day from police brutality. There's a lot. It's huge. It's a massive amount. It's a huge amount. But as hard as it is, think about how BLK marched. And he marched with the civil disobedience to do it peaceably. I say think about that because think about how peaceful he was, how peaceful all of them were, and they were together. But what still happened was they made waves. They made the white community outraged. They hated him. And a lot of people, black and white, and everything else in between, were watching, probably shaking their heads, like, you know what? Why did they cause this fuss? And so white people said, this is too fast, we're not ready. 
they put more pressure, more pressure because they said, you know what? You're not ready because you're comfortable. You're not ready because you have privilege. You're not ready for the change because you don't have anything to lose. But today, I see the descendants of those very same people, I bet, out here protesting. They're out here posting on their social medias about how all lives are worthy to be valued. And I see that as an affirmation, an affirmative to Black Lives Matter. Black lives matter. All lives should matter. You see how different that is from Black Lives Matter. Wait, wait. All lives matter. Black Lives Matter is not saying that we are exclusive. We're saying that we are undervalued. All lives matter is saying that you're right because all lives should matter. Thank you for listening to The Bottom Line. I'm Imani Pettiford, and I'm signing off.